0: Audio. Welcome to Truth Tribe with Doug Grotheis, where we seek the truth about the things that matter most through reason and evidence. Today I'd like to talk about my experience in various churches over my Christian life. And I call this Lessons from the Churches of My Christian Life, and this follows up a mini-series on the church and worship. I've done two previous podcasts on liturgy, and now I'd like to reflect and ponder a bit about my long years of experience in evangelical churches. I found my church home in Evangelical Anglicanism in early 2007. My denomination is the Anglican Church in North America, ACNA. It is not part of the Episcopalian denomination. But as I reflect on my church life, I am grateful to several churches for their faithfulness to God. My list is not inclusive of all the churches I have attended. I have been a Christ follower for over 47 years, and I will recount a few ways in which God has led and sanctified me for worship and service through His Church. Perhaps my reflections will edify you and stimulate you to enter deeply into the life of the Church that Christ bought with His own blood. See Acts twenty twenty eight. Please also consider reading my chapter called "In Defense of the Church," which is in Christian Apologetics, the second edition. I cannot remember my first church experience. This is because my parents had me baptized as an infant at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Anchorage, Alaska in 1957. I'm grateful for my parents' concern and the church's faithfulness to its doctrine. My first memory of this church was of attending a Sunday school class for a short time. I went a few times, but my parents didn't insist that I continue to go. I was involved in a junior high school group later with First Presbyterian Church after they had moved, but I don't remember any biblical teaching. At least nothing made an impression on me. First Presbyterian Church conducted my father's funeral in November of 1968 after his death in a small plane crash outside at Point Barrow, Alaska. The pastor, whose name I forgot, said that Dad had served those who, quote, worked with their hands. Indeed, he had. He was business manager for Labor's Local 341. At the time of his death, He had been the first president from 1958 to 1968. In the summer of 2008, I attended a fine service at First Presbyterian Church and had lunch with the pastor and his family. It was a sentimental time for me. However, I did not come to know God in Christ through this particular church, although I am not saying that I could not have done so. During my first year in college, God opened my soul to its truth through reading and witness. When I returned to Anchorage from Greeley, Colorado, about half of my friends had become Christians. Both sides wondered what I would do. After many conversations with Christian friends and some remarkable experiences, I professed Christ in a public meeting and was soon baptized at Abbott Loop Community Chapel, the first church I knew well. Abbott Loop was a large and growing Pentecostal church. Nearly all my Christian friends attended there. It was a part of a movement that affirmed the fivefold ministry of Ephesians four eleven. As such, the church had an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, and a teacher. Given my nearly non existent church background, I had no other ecclesiology to compare this with. From Abbot Luke, which I attended in the summer of nineteen seventy six, I learned the importance of evangelism and expressive worship. When my friends converted, they gave up drugs, alcohol, and secular rock music. So did I. I heard preaching for the first time and began to learn the Bible. The first sermon I ever heard was an exegetical and theological disaster, however. We were told that Jesus' parable of the wise and foolish virgins referred to two kinds of Christians, regular Christians and those who were in the Bride of Christ. The Bride Christians because of their zeal for the Lord, would be spared the great tribulation. The others would have to suffer through it, but could be saved in the end. The preacher said that he was not yet in the bride, but sought it out. It was a dramatic moment in the message, and one that most likely made nearly everyone nervous about their eschatological status. I was, and I had just become a Christian, a few days before that. I questioned my salvation much that first summer of my Christian life, despite my desire to live as a committed Christian. It seemed that my spiritual experiences did not match those of others, and I wondered, and worried. In the fall of 1976, I began my second year of college in Eugene, Oregon. I attended First Baptist Church. There I heard excellent preaching and grew in the knowledge of Holy Scripture. I made friends with serious Christians and was involved in church every way I could. Verse B, as we called it, was not just non-charismatic, but anti-charismatic, so I left tongues and the quest for the miraculous behind in favor of Bible study, strong involvement in the college group, and a growing interest in apologetics and all aspects of Christian belief and practice. Jack MacArthur was our senior pastor and preacher. He was a grand orator and read his hour-long sermons. I ate it up. He had a capacious vocabulary and strong opinions, like his more well-known son, John MacArthur. Dr. Jack, as we called him, preached a series on the charismatic movement and one on cults. From Dr. Jack, I learned the confrontational nature of Christianity. If the Bible is true, then the defining doctrines of Mormonism and Christian science are false. The Bible was the guide. If something was unbiblical, it was untrue. I will forever be grateful to First Baptist Church and for Dr. Jack MacArthur for this. I also sat under the warm ministry of our college pastor, Mike Hilty. After graduating from the University of Oregon in 1979, I attended Orchard Street Community Church, a small congregation that grew out of a house church that had started in the early 1970s as part of the Jesus movement. We met in another church on Sundays. We didn't have our own building. Many of the members lived in community homes, although I never did. Orchard was part of no denomination, but was strongly evangelical. The ethos emphasized simple living and community. Coming together in a world falling apart was a book that influenced the church, although I never read it. Our service included worship, a sermon, and periodic communion, sometimes served by non-leaders. I led communion once, but I'm trying to forget that. After the sermon, we took a short break and came back seated in a circle. Our repertoire for this unstructured time was prayer, silence, singing, and saying what was on our heart. The Quakers inspired us in this. Sometimes people thought they had a word from the Lord. My anti-charismatic days were over, and I began to learn something about the meaning of silence. The leadership asked me to join the preaching team in 1980. I was the equivalent of the fourth starting pitcher in a baseball rotation. I was assigned a text to preach exegetically. I learned to submit myself to the text and was critiqued formally by other preachers. I also received encouragement from others in the church. During a sermon on a text in the book of Malachi, I felt the power of God in the preaching. There was a holy hush that was filled by God himself. I then knew that when I preached the Bible after careful study, the Spirit could work far beyond what I anticipated. My aspiration ever since is to preach as an oracle of God. First Peter 4.11 Stuart Smith was one of our pastors and became a lifelong friend. He was an able teacher, a gentle spirit, and a man whose cheerfulness and determination amazed and inspired me. Stuart suffered from a rare degenerative condition, that progressively robbed him of his physical strength, but only deepened his spiritual strength. My chapter, Rejoicing in Lament, in my book, Walking Through Twilight, is about my dear friend, Stuart Smith, who died in 2019. Geneva Chapel was the Christian Reformed Church that Rebecca and I attended my two years of graduate school in Madison, Wisconsin, 1984-1986. Although I have a Dutch name, I am half Italian and had no history with this fine denomination. When we visited, we both sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit through the worship. People were friendly and liked my last name and taught me how to pronounce it more correctly. At Geneva, we found stability and dependability in both the leadership and in the church members. I was introduced to liturgy, although less involved than what I now experience at an Anglican church. One Sunday, I served as liturgist which meant that I selected a few hymns and Bible readings. I like that. Little did I know how significant liturgy would become for me. Geneva also asked me to preach several times. After one sermon, a man said, I think you missed your calling. You should be a pastor. I was in graduate school for philosophy at the time. What impacts you every day? I was encouraged by this, but continued to pursue a more academic and campus ministry-based service. However, I would continue to preach over the years in many churches. Besides preaching, the Holy Spirit has made me more pastoral over the years of study, suffering, and loving. While on sabbatical from Denver Seminary in 2006, Becky and I lived in Sun City West, Arizona, which is a retirement community. At this time, I served as a part-time pastor at Covenant of Grace Fellowship in Phoenix, a non-denominational charismatic church. The pastors, Lynn and Sharon Griffin, are lifelong friends and earnest servants of Christ and His Church. I serve this fellowship through teaching, preaching, and mentoring. Sadly, Becky was too ill to attend services or events. Covenant of Grace was a haven for many African immigrants, particularly those from Liberia. I was impressed by the Church's willingness to adapt to a new people group who unexpectedly began to attend the church about 15 years ago now. Their worship was expressive and charismatic. At the time, I was more reserved. Len and Sharon reviewed my time of service there. Two things stand out. First, I could improve my introductions to sermons, probably still true. Second, I should be more expressive in my worship, true enough, although this is taking some time for me to learn. After all, I do have a Dutch last name. I will unfairly skip several churches which benefited Rebecca and me over the years and conclude my ecclesiastical journey with Wellspring Anglican Church in Anglewood, Colorado, where I attended from 2007 until 2019. After returning from my sabbatical in Arizona, I visited Wellspring because of my growing interest in liturgy and because it was pastored by two outstanding Denver Seminary graduates who had been my students. Billy Waters, and Rob Paris, who sadly passed away at a young age a few years ago. While in Sun City West, Becky and I had attended the Saturday afternoon service at Crown of Life Lutheran Church, which was only a few blocks from where we stayed. We appreciated their liturgy and welcoming spirit. One of the pastors quipped that when we attended, we were in our early 50s at the time. It lowered the average age in the congregation to 80. After my first visit, I never attended my first visit to Wellspring unless I was traveling sick or preaching elsewhere. I found my home after a long sojourn through many churches with many strengths and some weaknesses. Let me explain, starting with preaching. As an intellectual evangelical, preaching is essential to my appreciation of a church and my spiritual growth. The truth of Scripture should be carefully and convincingly expounded. This is non-negotiable. Many years ago... Becky and I visited a reputable and large church in Seattle, which shall remain nameless. The pastor was renowned as a superb preacher. He was an excellent speaker, but we referred to his sermons as balloon sermons. They were colorful, but quickly floated up in the air and out of sight. They lacked gravity. I have heard some of the best preachers, and I have heard not a few bad ones. One message I heard contained five logical contradictions. For a time, I felt almost a spiritual obligation to dislike most sermons because my standards were so high and often because I was so arrogant, thinking I could do better. This is never true at Wellspring, except for the occasional visiting preacher coming from outside our denomination. And I can only think of one example of that. The sermons, or homilies, I'll try to explain that shortly. are biblically based, exhortational, and encouraging. Rob Harris planted a new church a few years ago, so our regular preacher is Billy Waters. And I should say that Billy is one of the best preachers I have sat under. In his messages, I always feel the warm urgency of the gospel. He encourages and exhorts. It is not one or the other, or neither, but always both. Pastor Billy casts a confident vision for the church and. By God's grace, Wellspring is glorifying God through worship, formation, and mission. It wants to serve our local community and plant churches throughout Denver in gospel-deficient areas. It serves the underserved in Englewood through its food bank and medical services. But why did I use the word homily and refer to my pastor as Father Billy? A homily is one aspect of the church's liturgy. It is vital, but it is not necessarily the most significant part of the service. Since the enactment of the liturgy happens in several well-orchestrated stages or movements, and never without the Eucharist, the homily cannot go on forever without robbing the other aspects of the service of their sacred significance. I've written a short primer on liturgy called Liturgy for the Low Church, which I read here a few weeks ago, which can be found online so I will not belabor the elements of it here. The homilies in my church usually last no longer than 20 minutes. They are not sermonettes for Christianettes. However, as Pastor Billy says, even if I preach a C-minus sermon, I know that the gospel is proclaimed through the whole service. By the way, he never preaches a C-minus sermon. Everything of spiritual significance does not depend on the skill of the preacher or the quality of the sermon as it may, in non-liturgical churches. My departed wife, Becky, noticed that for several years, when I returned from a Sunday service, I was often angry. She was usually too ill to attend with me. Much of that dismay was due to my own arrogance or judgmentalism, but not all of it. I never feel that way. After Becky's death in 2018, Kathleen and I married in 2019. We attended Wellspring a few times, Kathleen appreciated it, but it felt a bit overwhelming by its size. I knew many there, but she knew few. So we began to attend one of Wellsprings' church plants, pastored by a graduate of Denver Seminary, Tim Suits. We were warmly welcomed and found a home at this smaller church in our Anglican denomination. Besides the strong preaching and kind pastoral care, What stands out about Trinity Anglican is the number of young families in attendance. Although I did not have children, I have a greater appreciation for the challenges of raising a young family, given the makeup of our church. Kathleen often serves two of our pastors by babysitting their young children. She is a genius with children. Me, not so much. I enjoy younger children, especially my godchildren, but I won't be doing any babysitting which is good for the babies and for me. Each church along Life's Way has helped sustain and deepen my Christian experience. I am grateful for all of them. Perhaps this recounting of my journey will encourage you to find and commit to a godly church. Church involvement for the Christian is not optional. How can you believe that Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church— Matthew 16, 18, and not be a part of a living, growing, and unstoppable church. If Christ bought the church with his own blood, Acts 20, 28, how can you say no to the power of the blood? This is Doug Grothuis. You've been listening to Truth Tribe. If you'd like to know more about me or how I might serve you, please go to douglasgrothuis.com or tell someone about this podcast.